Welcome to Food and Loathing, the podcast that answers the question, doesn't that Al Mancini ever get tired of rambling on and on and on and on and on about Las Vegas restaurants? And if you've heard this podcast before, you know that answer is a big fat no. (laughs) Our producer, Rich Johnson, is manning the soundboard once again, making sure the words that come out of our mouths are properly converted into ones and zeros that sound good to you when you hear them in your earbuds or your car radio speakers or whatever new listening device you crazy kids are using today. Personally, These kids today. I can't wait, Rich, until you figure out a way to beat me directly into their brains or their dreams, like kind of a delicious yeah. Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. On it, on it. I don't know if we're there yet, but I know when we're there, Rich will be the guy to get us there. <laughs> um, man, it feels like it was just last week that the three of us were, were gathered here in Rick's backyard talking food, and that <laughs> is because it was. <laughs> yet I feel like so much has happened in that week. Rick, let's start with you. You're fresh off a plane. What have you been up to since last we spoke? Oh, man. Well, I've been developing recipes in my kitchen because that's what I do. And uh, I went to a couple of events. I uh, broke out one night, I think it was Wednesday night, and went to Ferguson's. That was Thursday. That Thursday. was, yes. And you, I squeezed that into my schedule to see you there. <laughs> yeah, you did. And he, so you he made a showing. swiftly avoided me the minute I got oh, there. Oh, 100%. That was fine. <laughs> I don't want to talk about uh, <laughs> No, but that was awesome because uh, it was, uh, you know, in the backyard, uh, the raised patio outdoors. Was, yeah, Ferguson's was, downtown on Fremont Street, which is just, they have that beautiful courtyard back yeah. there. And I met Jen, the, uh, the owner. Jen you know, Taylor. Yes, I, I met her the first time that night as well. Yeah, I shook her hand. I gave her my card. And she was not impressed. I told so when anyway, I was your friend and she let me in when I crashed the party. So your name carried the weight to get me in the door, man. Well, good for you. I'm glad I could help you out there. <laughs> that but was a the, mezcal thing, right? It was mezcal, and I love mezcal. That's where, when I met my wife, Ronnie, we were in Mexico, and mezcal is a, a bonding thing for me. And I just uh, every, I will always love it. And uh, they, were, they were pouring a couple of really good mezcals, and the person that knew everything, and the representative, was the rep was there, and she told you all the details of the agaves and and, and the different espadine and you know there's you see when and tequila is all blue Kennedy agave, yep, and then um, mezcal is a variety of fifty two or something I don't know some yep. large number and it's, that's what's cool about it. So and the food was uh, done uh, by the Black Pearl. You know, they do a lot of the pop-up stuff there, you know. Yeah, those I've, guys are great. They, it's the second time I've been to, to Isidro uh, Marquez and uh, Daniel Arias. They have a presence right now in Vegas Test Kitchen, the Black Pearl guys. Yeah. Um, and I think they're looking to get something more permanent happening. But I don't know. Did you get any scoop from them on that? <sighs> Nothing I can share. Nothing you can tell. <laughs> I mean, no, but the, the chef was there, and I went behind the table with him. Hey, man, I want to take a picture of everything. Can you make me a really nice one? So I got good pictures, Al, I can share with you. Okay? Cool. Not like you produce. I got good pictures. Good quality <laughs> photos. Yeah, I'm talking quality, moon and focus, chef design. It's amazing pictures. when you marry a food stylist. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. How much better so your that I'm kind of are. a food stylist, too, you yeah. know? <laughs> the, I can do By that. proxy. Yeah, but he made an agua chili with shrimp and lime juice and cilantro. It was absolutely heavenly. And, you know, these guys, their pedigree is, you know, uh, eh. You know, Jose Andreas is, yeah. you know, and they do a lot of molecular gastronomy in that venue and some hocus pocus and stuff. But the food he's doing is solid. It's real just straight up Mexican, delicious flavors, good chilies. I had a good discussion with him. He's a smart kid. And, uh, so whatever they decide to do, um, I think it's on my radar. I'm going fast before they fill up. Yeah, they're really good people. Uh, I had a really busy week. Four events that night that you're talking about, mm-hmm. that Thursday night, mm-hmm. if you count me crashing your party and not <laughs> talking to you at it because you were too busy with Mr. Steve Geddes. That's right, time. man. Um, I also hit a Golden Knights game on Friday. Um, fantastic sandwich, by the way, from Rolling Smoke Barbecue. I just want to throw a shout out to them. I do like those guys. The biggest night out before I get to Thursday was Saturday, which was the return of the Back of the House brawl. Now, mm-hmm. Rick, have you? did you ever go to the old back of the house because oh, i feel yeah. like i talked to so many modern foodies people that have just come into the scene in the past five six years that do not remember what a scene that used to be oh why uh, the whole thing was it's, it starts late at night because everybody has to get off of work and you know so you get there early and you know you get you get your you know you have a couple cocktails get your drink drinks. on you get your drink on <laughs> hang out there smoke cigarettes do your thing you know and, and everybody's just getting plastered and it becomes this just uh, this this raucous brawl so many times I've gone to them I'm like oh this is cool I like being here and then you know and then Jolene who runs it she's like Moonin get up here we need a judge you know so next thing you know I'm sitting up here and I'm like whoa I'm like four beers in and I'm like hanging out yeah I got a pass 
talent right here for yeah, you. Yeah, man. So I've been a judge several times. <laughs> Do you remember what you were served at Because <laughs> in the old days, I was so drunk every time Joe asked me to judge. Because it would usually be like when Jim Bagley went home early and he was supposed to judge, or maybe you were supposed to judge. No, no, no. I never bagged out. I'm always I'm always the savior, man. I'm always the okay, man. So you I need know one I'm here. Like. So that's why we always had a few drinks in us, right? Because 100%. we didn't know we were going to judge until no. she grabbed us. Yeah, it's not irresponsible, Al. It's just no. it's still about timing. Well, a lot has changed. This, you know, first of all, we're all older. Um, nobody appeared to be falling down drunk this Saturday. It was the return. It was at Vegas Test Kitchen. It wasn't on food trucks. It's a soft, soft version. Um, I didn't notice any chef groupies looking for a hookup, which used to be a big thing back in the old days. That's a bummer. Um, maybe I just wasn't chatting with the right people. Maybe they'd already hooked up by the time I got there. They've been warned. But, um, you know, I stayed sober because I knew I was going to be judging this time. There were dozens of people there, probably well over 100, crammed into the Vegas Test Kitchen and the joining alley um they were there to cheer on piero's chris conlin and main street provisions jessica pearlstein mm. as they battled to prepare a dish using the mystery Ooh. ingredients and those were tri-tip marshmallow fluff oyster sauce butternut squash and radishes easy um so yeah you would, how do you think you would have done with that rick I would have seasoned, I heavily seasoned the tri-tip, first of all. You know, because it's a beautifully marbled piece. Of and I think they were seasoned, actually, in a Pre-seasoned. Pre-seasoned. All right, then I'd just rub the marshmallow all over and burn the snot out of it. <laughs> but first I'd sear the meat, sear it, get a good, you know, brown and all around it and get put the marshmallow on and burn it, like, till it's, you know, charred. Mm -hmm. So that the, the sugar in it is now turned to ash. And they use a lot of ash in in food for now you know as garnishes like this is the onion ash and you know this is whatever this is your dog's ash you know? <laughs> but it but th that's what i would do and i would uh, make a puree i'd make a nice butternut squash puree the radish uh probably i just brunoise and pickle for just a little bit of acidity because that's always fun when you're eating a piece of meat you know mm -hmm. like having a cornichon with a, with a charcuterie and uh what was the other ingredient that i'm forgetting um uh, oyster sauce Oyster. Butternut squash, we mentioned them. Okay, oyster sauce I didn't use. So I would use it as a rub after I seared the meat. I'd probably do the oyster sauce and the marshmallow, burn the snot out of it. And, well, the, and, and probably get disqualified. I don't know. It sounds like what you did <laughs> sounds better um, than what, 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 what I received, but they, they did some great That's off the cuff. Dishes, I don't yeah. Know. Um, and uh, Chris made a kind of a potato pancake out of the butternut squash, so a latke kind of that he served uh, it over. Um, I, I will say that Jessica's dish had a lot of marshmallow in the sauce. It was really sweet, which is uh, probably why bummer. I did not end up voting for her. It was a little too sweet for me. Uh, the winner was Chris Conlin taking home the Peppermill Trophy. Not as cool as the old trophy with the PBR. Perhaps <laughs> where, um, where I just learned, I'll tell you later, I learned who stuck the two-headed dildo inside of that one. I learned that later this oh, week. Uh, but that was a, that, there's a whole other story, because this used to be such a scene and such a drunken mess. But this <laughs> was much calmer um it was a bit of a madhouse after the winner was announced Did but i managed food? to ask chris a couple of questions across the crowded judges counter so how's it feel to win um surprising surprising you know jess is a great competitor and i really didn't think i had what it took to beat her but um it feels good you've done a few of these this is your first win jolene said uh, second win. Second win. I, okay. I won one um, back in the original at Tommy Rockers. Okay, cool. Yeah. Those were the days. Those were the days. Those were the days. The days I don't remember. <laughs> and then, and then, and then okay. Chef Gino Bernardo and I did one together as a team that we don't remember. Ah. That didn't end up so well. So, cool. How do you feel about the turnout? And You know, this is something that a lot of us were doing 10, 12 years ago, however long. I don't even remember. Um, and now we're all a little older. We weren't sure if people were going to come out tonight. How do you feel about the turnout? I think it's awesome that we all still get together. And like you said, we are older and mature. And it's a little bit different feeling. But it's awesome that we're still doing it and reliving our younger, youthful days. Cool. Congratulations. Thanks, Al. Thanks. So yes, you were asking if I got booed for um for <laughs> I get yeah. booed wherever I go, Rick. You oh know that. God, it's <laughs> just a normal I mean, thing. But it was great to have Chris win. He's chef at Piero's, good guy. Um, Jess still did a great. You know, she put out a great effort. Main Street Provisions, of course, one of my favorite restaurants. Yeah. It was kind of weird because she was, she was being judged by Justin Kingsley Hall, her boss, yeah. as well as Gary Lamort. So did they agree with you? I Obviously, it had to be a unanimous. No, it doesn't no. have to be unanimous. I wrote my scores down. I handed them in. I didn't look at theirs. I keep my head down in that, man, because, <laughs> you know, in the old days, people used to get pissed if yeah, they didn't man. win. And I'm like, man, 
I was too drunk to even remember what I you're, you're voted easy, for, you're you know? Pick, you're very easy to pick out in a crowd. I am, man. It's easy <laughs> to spot me. Um, as I said, the Thursday night was my really big night out in the town. I That's when I did four events in about three or four hours. I kicked things off with a media event over at Chickies and Pete's at the Sahara. As I've mentioned in the past, this chain didn't really explode in the Philadelphia area until after I'd left for college. So while all the people I grew up with, they now love this joint, I'm still a relative newcomer to Chickies and Pete's. Puts me in the same position as many of you. So in addition to scarfing down some free food with friends, I did use the event to ask the owner, Pete Chirochi, some very basic questions about the place, starting with what I consider a pretty awkward freaking name. First of all, Chickies and Pete's, two apostrophes, right? Because that seems to confuse people who aren't from Philly. Well, when you didn't think you were going to be more than one store and you got the sign for half price, that's how it happened. The guy made this on my father's uh, the sign, and he, his name was Frank Alamea. And he said, Pete, here it is. We put it up. My father said, it says Chickies and Pete's. That doesn't make any sense. He said, you can't have two plurals. He went, Pete, yeah, it's just a Chickies a place, and it's a pizza place. He said, yeah, I, I don't want the sign. I want you to redo it. Come on, the Pete. I have too much money invested. And my father said, I'll give you, I'll give you 100 bucks. That goes a hundred a box. This is 1977. Oh man. He said, I got a 1500 into it. He said, I'll give you 500. But I went back and forth. We want to pay in 750. And for 750, we figured, what's the difference? My father saved 750. Mm -hmm. And we're never going to be more than just a corner bar anyway. Mm -hmm. I've been answering that question <laughs> since 1977. Oh, and it's man. been such a thorn in my side, we should have changed the side. Well, I am so I, sorry. But did you ever go back and pay the guy more now that it's become a huge hit? No, I think he's not around anymore. <laughs> Neither is my dad. So I love that story. I'm glad I asked. Sorry you had to tell it again, but I hadn't heard it before. So thanks so much, man. So everybody here is Philadelphia Place coming. They all want to talk about cheesesteaks. You guys are better known for your crab fries than your cheesesteaks. What is the signature dish here? Crab fries it's a registered trademark, something we own. We have them in um, stadiums across the country, whether it be Heinz Field, whether it be where the Ravens play, whether it be where Minnesota plays, where, where, whether it be in uh, Arrowhead Stadium, Kansas City. That is our thing that we invented and it's very unique. And it's the number one product sold in any stadium in the country. So if you go to Philadelphia Eagles game, there's more crab fries sold there, more money spent on crab fries than any other food in any other sport, in any other stadium in the whole country. So that's our what we're known for. Okay. Our cheesesteaks are phenomenal. Right. But listen, there's a lot of cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. You can't be the best at everything. Right. So we make a great cheesesteak, but our crab fries are the draws them in. But nobody makes a lobster cheesesteak, because that's surf and turf on a roll. And if you haven't had that, you better get in there Okay, so first I've got to say, I'm so glad he has an Italian last name and I have an Italian last name. Otherwise, <laughs> we were going to be sued by the Italian Anti-Defamation League for that accent that he did for the sign maker. I feel like, um, I, I swear, I thought it was Mario Brothers I was interviewing there. <laughs> um, but so we got those mysteries solved. And then I headed to just, a, you know, immediately from there, went over to Mulberry Street Pizza in Resorts World, which is apparently a Beverly Hills, California institution that never actually operated on New York's famed Mulberry Street, I, uh, at least as far as I understand it. I do have to say um, the New York Street pizza slices they were serving to the press were pretty pretty solid, man. I, I enjoyed them. Um, but I was really there to witness the unveiling of a 10-foot Mike Tyson statue because, honestly, I do not know. But freaking Mike Tyson <laughs> was there, so I was there, and here's what Mike had to say to the crowd. Well, you know, I'm, I'm from New York, and Mulberry Pizza is legendary there. And I lived in Beverly Hills, and it was legendary there. I, I lived around the corner from it, and I was here in Vegas, and um, he honored me with a statue, and I'm, I'm really humbled. And thank you, Richie. I knew Richie ever since my teenage years in New York City, and uh, we've always been close, and I'm um, a little overwhelmed. I'm pretty humbled right now. And once again, thank you. 
statue, and it was a 10-foot statue, and a lot of people say it looks nothing like him. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it was him many years ago, so I don't know. Anyway, go check out Mulberry Street Pizza and check it out. I have never seen Nicolas Cage out in Las Vegas. I have never seen OJ out in Las Vegas, but now I can say I saw Mike Tyson out uh, in Las I've Vegas. Se- now I've, I've seen Mike Tyson out in Vegas before. Yeah, and um, they probably took a mannequin and just put the tattoo on the face. Mike Tyson. <laughs> I've seen Pete Rose a lot. He used to be, you know, across oh, your joint all the time. Yeah, man, it's crazy. He's, oh, he's, he's signing all, things. He was cranky. Yeah, <laughs> I, I buttonholed him there once and said, no, he's "Do a podcast." Get Barry, Barry Day Cake is yeah. a big. Fan. Two years later, Pete's now doing a podcast. Doing a podcast, yeah. but he didn't do it with you. No. I'm doing it with you, though. Doesn't uh, that make you feel me. better? Sort of. Um, so I went straight from there. I didn't stick around to talk to the champ. I went right over to the Mezcal party to be snubbed by Rick Moonen, but we've already discussed that. <laughs> yep. That was fun. That was um, and then one last thing on Thursday night on my way home, I need to mention our friend Eduardo Cordova, who is the man behind the garden in the Arts District, the Arts District's only gay bar. Uh, he held a grand opening party for his new piano bar, Cocktail Lounge Star. I should say I don't believe that this is a specifically gay place. Um, not that I would I would go whether it was or not, but um, I believe this I'd is, go. This is across the board. I'm I dropped we gotta I, do the podcast from there. We should do the days. podcast Absolutely. with piano music yeah, in man, the background. It's fabulous. You're yeah. missing out. You so yes. get in there. That's well, it just opened. It was a grand opening. I'm on it, man. I, I dropped by to congratulate him. <laughs> this place was more fabulous than I was expecting. Congratulations, man. How does it feel to um finally officially be open? It's just really exciting and I'm I'm so happy to finally be open and there's such a, an iconic uh you know place which it was sunny saloon and now it's star piano lounge yeah could you tell me um who's on tonight for your open your official grand opening party and then who's the entertainment going to be here so we have chris lash and his band tonight um we did a little show just specifically for our grand opening um and we have as our regulars on fridays we have ruby lewis we have our residency with the moonshiners on saturdays which is awesome the place lights up when a full band plays in the room because it's such a sexy small intimate room and it just comes alive whenever anytime we have live entertainment Eduardo's done a great job renovating the whole place. And in fact, there's a beautiful tribute to Robin Leach when you walk in the door. I Champagne wishes and caviar dreams and a picture of Robin. I love that. Um, so he's given it a great makeover, but he says there's at least one aspect of the old Sunny Saloon that he hopes to retain. This used to be the regulars, the industry, the local spot to go. After you're done with your shift at the casino, after you're done with your shift at the show, people used to come here and have a cocktail and just get together and have a drink before they go to bed or before they go home right after work. So we want to keep that going. We want to be a place with our prices. It's a place that you can come here every night, you know, and it's a place that you can come here, you know, with your hat, sneakers, or you can have it at date night as well. But I do feel like this is a place you could dress up for and feel really good about dressing up for it yeah for sure obviously the place is beautiful and and it you know it's a we see a lot of couples here beautiful place star it's in the seediest of seedy neighborhoods but yeah. within spitting distance of the strip yeah and um a lot of you know the, I, I felt very safe in the parking lot really secure it looks it looks seedy but you know i yeah. would definitely go there bring bring a date go have a good night and enjoy it we love eduardo we had him on the podcast and uh, so uh, it should be easy to arm twist him into uh, bringing all the gear and the camera and all that yeah stuff. i think he'd love to and i'd love to have uh, do a show from there so eduardo if you're listening keep that in mind yeah i had another exciting wonderful night week i had chenny's takeout yeah, oh boy. but i had it from china mama uh Not which is choice. a long way for it's a 20 minute drive from my house i passed probably a dozen other chenny's places but you know my wife she's from poland uh she got here in 1989 in new york lived in elmhurst and one of their great american first experiences yep. was a little hole in the wall chinese joint at elmhurst uh, but over 30 years of marriage, she's refined her palate for Asian cuisine. She prefers Thai and Korean. I'm still kind of a hole-in-the-wall addict. But once we found China Mama, she was convinced. So now I have to bypass a dozen other joints between my house and the corner of Jones and Spring Mountain to, to get the takeout of the Kung Pao chicken and Tan Tan noodles and other delights. Mm. And they're known for their Xiaolong Bao, but I'm guessing you don't want to take those 20 no, minutes, No, and those, right? uh, the those, liquid-centered uh, yeah, the, the noodles. Soup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the soup. Yeah, I need to get the Xiaolong Bao. I need they're to get those. They're fantastic, and they've they're, they're got potato cakes that are amazing, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I need to get, expand the menu as we go there more often. Uh, following the Food Network. I do follow the Food <laughs> Network once in a while. Not as much as I used to, but I still check them online, and I found a recipe for brisket, and so I made a brisket. 
Rough cut onions, celery, garlic, carrots, braised. I got a nice piece from a place we've talked about before, Feather Blade. They cut it to Feather order. Blade. It's it's wonderful everybody stuff. I talk, talk to loves that butcher shop. You know, uh, it said strain the, the liquid out of the vegetables and discard the vegetables. No, no, no sir. No, sir. I got the stick blender out. Yeah. I made uh, what was uh, turned out to be almost like Sunday gravy, a, a tomatoey ragu. Put that on top of the brisket. Uh, I have enough for leftovers tonight, including the, the ragu. Well, oh. I, I may be oh. giving you um something to eat tonight, but well, not, we'll not as good as that. that. So we'll get to that. <laughs> Tease to that. Um, look, next up, a conversation about sushi with chefs from on and off the strip. I am so glad we saved this segment for a week when Rick is with us because I have a few follow-up questions for you, chef. But first, let's bring you up to date before I dig in. This is Food and Loathing. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joining you for this segment from Sushi Samba in the Palazzo, one of the Strip's more original restaurants, which combines South American cuisine and sushi. Not really Nikkei, but um, we're going to get into that in a second. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't you worry, because they're going to explain it for you. Joining me for this segment is our producer, Rich Johnson, as well as a pair of Las Vegas sushi chefs, because we are here to talk about the artistry of raw fish and rice and everything that goes into sushi. First up is John Um. John, you're the corporate executive sushi chef for Sushi Samba. Am I getting that right? Corporate chef. Corporate chef. Excuse me. Thank you, sir. Um, And we're sitting here in this new expanded tree bar at Sushi Samba. I haven't been in here. I missed your opening party. My apologies for that one. I don't know what I had going on that night, but it's beautiful in here, man. Um, You've expanded. You've taken over a little bit of space that was outside in the um, kind of the hallway. So tell me what what you're doing here at Tree Bar before I introduce my next guest so we basically were open for over a decade in this hotel and we wanted to take another level of um uh, offering to the guests here and we wanted to reinvent the guest experience by offering an extension on this bar and um just not just the atmosphere but the menu itself and things like that well, I'm sitting here looking at one of your your signature gorgeous sushi plates, um, sushi and sashimi. I guess this is all sashimi, no nigiri in here. And I got to tell you, are you still doing Instagram? Because I haven't been following you recently, but you, John had one of the most gorgeous Instagram pages <laughs> for people that like sushi food porn. Are you still doing that, man? Yes, I'm, I'm, I've been really um, not posting as much, but yes, I still do, yes. Well, we're going to post some pictures of what you brought out for us here today, but I think everybody should follow you. What's your tag on Instagram? Chef John, J. Okay, awesome. Also joining us for this segment is Joshua Bagwin. Um, He first worked at a sushi restaurant in New York before traveling to Japan to study the cuisine in Tokyo and in the Mount Fuji area. After returning to New York City in 2003, he tried his hand at kosher catering and kosher sushi, of all things, before moving to Las Vegas in 2007 and taking a job at the sushi bar at RM Seafood. His local resume also includes time at Saki Rock, Mm -hmm. the party spot next to T-Mobile Arena and the popular all-you-can-eat chain Island Sushi, as well as a Kiribati's Mandalay Place restaurant, Kumi. Am I getting this right? Man? That is 100% correct. Yeah, Thanks, my so. friend. Um, when COVID hit, he started Sliced Sushi with his partner, Soon Park, eventually expanding into Vegas Test Kitchen. That pop-up now behind him. He's working on opening, hopefully, his own brick-and-mortar soon, but I'm just going to let him tell me what I got wrong. Josh, is it, first of all, Josh or Joshua? Uh, I usually go by Josh. Okay, so Josh, what did I get right? What did I get wrong? Uh, you, you got it all right, you know, the second time around Take at least. Take two is a charm, man. 
take two is a charm. So, uh, man, I'm thrilled to have you guys here. I'm thrilled, first of all, to see Tree Bar uh, for the first time. But I really want to get down and dirty and talk about sushi because it's one of my favorite styles of cuisine. Um, people always ask, what's your favorite food? I don't have a favorite restaurant. I don't have a favorite food. But I could probably, if I had to live on two cuisines, if I could have pizza, you know, three nights a week, sushi and sashimi the other three nights a week, and then, you know, mix it up on day seven, the, <laughs> the Lord's Day, I'd be a pretty happy guy. So sushi in Las Vegas, however, is a little different than sushi in New York, which is where I discovered it, where there was a great sushi chain or a great inexpensive sushi place on just about every block, right? So you didn't have to spend a lot of money. I moved here in 2001. The only good sushi was um, was super expensive stuff like going to Nobu or someplace like that. Um, I finally discovered Sushiman, which was an all-you-can-eat place that I enjoyed for a while. It was in there recently. Things have changed a bit, but you know, still okay for the all-you-can-eat deal. Um, but things have changed. How do you guys feel about the sushi scene in Las Vegas today? Do we have? It, how does it compare to other cities? Do we have good stuff? Is it only at the high end? Hit, hit me with your first original thoughts. Um, I think. Basically, Vegas being in food mecca of the country, I mean, we have a varieties. We have a high-end to, um, I wouldn't say low-end, but then different uh, levels of sushi. Um, and then that gives a lot of people uh, different options to choose from, whether from all-you-can-eat to actually high-end, like a nigiri or makase or kaiseki places. Um, and that being, that being said, I think Las Vegas is very unique. It has a very different options to offer to all, all the guests and all the different levels of people. Cool. Now, Josh, you've always, you most recently have tried to keep it in the more affordable range over at Vegas Test Kitchen. Is it tougher to do affordable stuff here in Las Vegas? Is it easier when you're doing the high-end joints? Um, well... I would say now it's it's absolutely difficult because now everybody's reopened and all the sushi places are rocking and rolling and fish prices went up and products are harder to come by. So I, I think that's that's just like a a struggle, you know, lately especially. Yeah. That has always been the um the people who don't know Las Vegas, people who only come to Las Vegas once a year. Their arguments always been, why would I eat sushi in a desert, right? Why would I have seafood in a desert, blah, 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 as if we didn't have airplanes. Or, you know, I'm, I'm not really yeah. sure. And, and as if the places on the coast didn't have freezers. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, but I, I do believe that Las Vegas is unique, that we can get certain ingredients probably better than any place else on Earth because of the casinos. Other things might be tough to get here. How is it to get good fish in Las Vegas for you guys? Um, just just so you know, like in compared to any other cities in the United States, um, there are only few cities um, that get direct flight from Korea or Japan. Um, LA is huge, and then we get a lot of stuff from LA and Los Angeles. However, um, there we get direct flight from those those uh, countries, so we have a very good access to uh, get those fresh items all the time. Cool. So I'm actually eating some taco right now, a little octopus. Uh. It's fantastic that you put in front of me. <laughs> Can't sit sushi in front of me without me eating. Let's talk about some of the basics of sushi. Um, basic vocabulary. We have nigiri, sashimi. <coughs> you okay there? Excuse me. I'm you eat a little, a little too fast there? <laughs> the fish won. The fish did win. <laughs> um, sashimi at the most basic, and that's what's sitting in front of me right now. That is just raw fish, basically unadorned with anything. Not always raw. Some, some of it will be cooked, like the octopus I'm eating right now. But that's, that's pretty much the most pure form, correct? Yes. From there, we go to nigiri, which is where you put it on the little bit of rice. And I want to talk about that. I see people argue all the time about whether you should eat nigiri with chopsticks. You got the little piece of rice there. You got the little bit of fish, sometimes raw, sometimes cooked on top. Some wasabi in between, sometimes some sauces. It was my understanding as a young person that sushi was sort of a, a Japanese take on a sandwich, right? You put the fish on the rice so that you could pick it up, just like you put the meat on bread in a sandwich so you could pick it up with your fingers. And it supposedly was invented by a gambler who wanted to be able to eat at the table, not get his hands a mess. So for me, picking up a piece of nigiri from the rice with my fingers is very natural. I mean, I could use chopsticks. I'm okay with them, actually. I'm, for, for a white guy, I'm pretty decent with chopsticks. <laughs> but, um, 
But I, I will pick up nigiri with my hand most of the time. And now I watch a movie like Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which if you're a sushi lover and you haven't seen that movie, you have to see it. It is porn to the extreme. Um, <laughs> and as I watched Jiro Dreams of Sushi the first time, I saw some people eating nigiri with chopsticks. I saw some people eating it with their hands. And I'm like, I don't think anybody knows what the rule is. And my rule with food is always do whatever the hell makes you feel good. But you guys are the experts. So you tell me, hands or chopsticks? My personal opinion is that when you go to any nigiri restaurant that offers only nigiri as a omakase tasting, then you should use a hand. However, you're accommodating with a different appetizers or different dishes, and then you're eating sashimi on top of like other, other dishes and also the nigiri, then you should be using chopsticks. It all depends on people's preference, but then when the restaurant offers oshibori, which is like the hot towel at the table, mm -hmm. then they're actually suggesting you to experience with the hands in that restaurant. Oh. So you should respect that. However, if you don't get any of that, they're actually expecting you to use the chopsticks. There you go. I love that. That's a great hint as what the, what the chef is expecting from you. Josh? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what he just said. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. um, I mean... Uh, I kind of go back and forth too, you know, I'm pretty good with chopsticks, so I'll roll my nigiri over and just dip the fish in, but it gives me a good chance to look at the shape of the nigiri too, and, you know, practice with chopsticks every day, yeah. you know, as much as possible, they're difficult. <laughs> yeah, they, they can be tough, especially for nigiri. I mean, yeah. nigiri doesn't really lend itself to chopsticks, and a lot of that will depend on how good the chef was, and how well they're able to really pack that rice, and I was at a sushi restaurant recently, an all-you-can-eat place, and there was no picking it up with the chopsticks the rice just fell apart when mm. i tried and you know but again that's a reflection on the chef when it comes to what makes a good sushi chef how much of it is about knife skills how much of it is about selecting the right cuts of fish and how much of it as i've been told is about knowing how to make rice because a lot of people tell me that in japan you've got to make rice for five years before you're even able to look at the fish i don't know if that's true but that's what i hear well my personal opinion, again, um, to have a refined fish, you got to understand the Japanese culture first. Japanese, they, they love refining their stuff. So when you, when you know how to make uh, rice, they want to refine it. They want to master it. So they want to put their craftsmanship into it to make sure everything is at their perfection. So when it comes down to choosing just the rice itself, there are many of uh, investigating and experimenting on uh, choosing the rice or how to cook it. And then once you go through those steps in each ingredient and assemble that into one sushi, then you can have that good sushi right there. So. And it's a vinegared rice, right? Yes. Could, you, could one of you guys explain what goes into making really good sushi rice? It's a short grain rice, I'm told, but maybe. Uh, yeah, short grain rice works the best. I mean, I've seen people use long grain rice, and it, was an, it wasn't a culinary tragedy or anything, <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't spot on, you know? Um, but uh, making sure that your, your vinegar is seasoned, right? So what do you mean by properly seasoned vin vinegar? Um, well, I'm talking about the balance of the the shadizu the the rice vinegar for the sushi rice it's uh usually salt and sugar uh some kombu goes in there for like the natural msg and it kind of balances it out but if you're too sweet from too much sugar or you're too salty from too much salt it's gonna ruin everything you do for the day so you, it's like uh building a, a house on a sinkhole so does everybody, and again, I have my mouth full of this great sushi, does everybody season their rice the same way, or do sushi chefs have that sort of as a secret recipe? All different. Yeah, always. All different. Cool. And is it something that you develop over the course of your lifetime? I think so. I think it also has to do with not just your own experience, but the brand that you work for, and also the restaurant, the, the chef that you work for, and things like that. Yeah. Right. Speaking of seasoning and things that add flavor to the fish, can we talk a little bit about wasabi? Because wasabi, I think, for neophytes or newcomers to sushi, wasabi is very misunderstood because we have all only seen that little super hot green blob from the inexpensive sushi place that sits at the table, which, to my understanding, is called wasabi, but is not really wasabi. It's really just a mustard powder, um, and it's sort of trying to imitate legitimate wasabi. So could, could you guys weigh in on what, what the truth about wasabi is and what we need to know? So wasabi is actually a root, and it's grated on 
uh, metal grater or, I mean... Almost, or shark skin, right? Yeah, sh- exactly. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, traditionally there's a shark skin grater. It's really cool, actually, when you see it. It's kind of a novelty lately as opposed to, like, the little metal metal one. But, uh, yeah, wasabi is a root, and you kind of clean up the little nubs on it, and then you grate it on a grater, and you scrape it off the grater kind of like you would with uh, fresh ginger. And then if it, that's too expensive, you just use bullshit green pow- mustard powder? Is that what the deal is? Yeah, basically it's a mustard powder <laughs> with food coloring. Okay. But there are different also grades in uh, wasabi powder. There, there are some stuff that has a ex- extra um, fresh wasabi in it. Mm-hmm. And also there's a fresh wasabi already grated in a tube. There are many different versions of um, fresh wasabi. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of times you'll order fresh wasabi and rather than pull out the root or the rhizome and grate it, which again on shark skin, if you're someplace really nice, <laughs> rather than do that, they'll pull out that tube, right? And that's almost yeah. like a wasabi relish kind of, right? I mean, so is that like a middle level wasabi? That The the one that you're talking about is called the kizami wasabi. Kizami means like chopped wasabi. Mm. Um, basically, it has a lot of M- SGNL, like <laughs> after chemical products all mixed okay. in it. Um, but yeah, they give yep. you extra spiciness into it. So the good stuff, though, you want to see it actually graded at your table. Yeah. yeah. And that'll cost you some extra money. And a lot of places will have that, and they'll kind of keep it in the back. And if you ask for it, they'll do it for you. But, you know, be expecting to see that upcharge on your bill, right? What, what should I expect in a good sushi restaurant for a real wasabi upcharge? Um, it will. It depends. Like uh, in our restaurant, we charge between 3 to $5. And then we used to have this menu. Um, called uh, wasabi tasting where we give actually all these different varieties of uh, fresh wasabi in different forms from pickled kizami wasabi to tube wasabi to regular straight up root wasabi and then we were charging about ten dollars wow that's cool and that i mean if you're in a good restaurant ten dollars is not a huge upcharge i would be more than happy to pay for that experience give you something to talk about when you go home and um to talk to your friends about sounds smarter than everybody else which is (laughs) always the fun of eating out you know one thing and i'm going to name drop here i'm going to brag because one of the greatest experiences i ever had i won't go into too many details was um having chef morimoto prepare sushi for me right in front of me and actually cut the pieces and do this and one thing that he was demonstrating to my wife and myself as we were eating it was that he'd use a different amount of wasabi on each piece of nigiri based on the fat content of the fish so we were doing tuna at the moment and so we did toro chutoro and otoro uh, with three different fat contents and he put drastically different amounts of wasabi on each piece of fish and yet they all tasted as if he had put the same amount on so i'm guessing that that's something that a real expert sushi chef needs to take into account is is the fish and how to adjust the wasabi for that could you guys speak to that i agree and that comes down to the craftsmanship that john mentioned earlier about craftsmanship and that that's really an important thing it definitely comes down to the craftsmanship and knowing your product and if you got your good rice and your good fish but then you throw too much wasabi on and you unbalance the flavor you're you're doing an injustice to your customers and to your products okay a couple other things of etiquette number one i'm told and my wife never took my advice on this until morimoto told her and then now she does it um never <laughs> never eat nigiri in two bites that it should only be eaten in one bite one bite is yes. that that's pretty much a rule right yes. okay what about dipping nigiri into soy sauce yes or no yay or nay um, it depends. Like uh, when some restaurants, they actually brush soy sauce on top of the nigiri, then you should just enjoy as is because as um, Josh mentioned, um, it's all about the balance that chef created for your experience. However, um, in, in even Las Vegas or any places, they usually don't put the soy sauce uh, or nigiri soy, they call it. Um, don't put it on top of the nigiri only because they want customer to enjoy it the, the way they want it. Right. Uh, now, if I am dipping my nigiri into soy sauce, do I dip the rice or do I dip the fish? Fish, always. Dip mm-hmm. the fish, okay, because the rice seems like it'll absorb it up like a sponge, yeah. right? And uh, Okay. Um, I have to think that after watching people like me do all those things wrong for a decade or two, do you, do you just 
not even look anymore and not even think about it. <laughs> you just have to interrupt everyone. I, I have to hey, we need to correct them in now. There's yeah. a lot of suits from all the slapping of faces you guys are doing. I, I'm a firm believer in you should enjoy your food the way that you enjoy your food. And that's why when my wife never took my advice, I was fine with that because she should enjoy it the way she wants. But um, but Sue did listen to Morimoto. <laughs> you don't you don't tell him no. Um, Okay, let's talk. Americans love crazy rolls. Um, and my limited experience in Japan, I never saw a lot. I never saw cream cheese in a roll. I never saw eight ingredients in a roll. I never saw giant rolls. I never saw a deep fried roll. A roll was just a way to kind of pick it up sort of as to go and get a nice, a nice piece of tuna. But, you know, it's, you package it up if you're going to be sitting on the train eating it or whatever. I don't know. Um, but... You know, I once, and I'm name dropping all over the place here, I once asked Masa Takayama about, you know, what's traditional, what's real, and he said to me, well, you know, a hundred years ago, before refrigeration, raw fish in inland Japan wasn't even a traditional part of sushi because there was no refrigeration, so they used cooked fish. So it's always evolving, and that, you know, we shouldn't maybe get too hung up on what's traditional because it's, it's a living, breathing art form. So I'm going to ask you guys, how do you feel about the way that Americans love to make these insane rolls? Well, <laughs> I hate it, <laughs> right. to be honest. Ever the diplomat. However, however, I have to accept what people love, and I have to accept how, how things are changing. You know, um, yeah, like, a, like a, when, when, when sushi was offered in States, um, the basic idea was the fit, fresh fish or raw fish or cooked fish with the rice and to make it a little more approachable to people it had to form it in different way and they had to have additional items like sauces to to add it on and then it became more approachable and then people getting a little more educated what goes well with what and then what balances well with what and then now what is traditional what is now what's trendy and then you can go on but um, as long as the the core ingredients, the rice or seaweed or the fish, um, all those things are uh, respected in those rolls, I'm all for it. And that's the problem. Many times. And then. I feel like cream cheese and hot sauce will cover a multitude of sins. Like if you have <laughs> poor knife skills and mediocre fish, just slather it in some cream cheese and some hot sauce and deep yeah. fry it. Nobody will know, right? At no, that point. Sometimes. It's a fried fish sandwich. Cream, cream cheese is the sin. Yeah. Uh, Josh, how about you, man? Are you a fan of the, the crazy rolls? Um, I am, and I'm not. If you approach your crazy ass roll like a vessel for a flavor combination, kind of like pizzas, mm-hmm. almost you know you choose your toppings to get your right acids and your your fatties and whatever you want, your sour and your sweet, and you balance it out and you get it right and you hit the nail on the head, then that's that's the right way to do it. But if you're just gonna slap a bunch of crap in there and pour ponzu and, and dot it with sriracha and, and call it omakase, like shove off, you know? And then deep fry. Yeah, I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. Now we're it's ju- all about execution. We're jumping all over the place here, but you just said omakase. I'm, I always screw up. I always say omakase, but it's omakase is the proper pronunciation. I'm not omakase. sure omakase. at this point. Oh, okay. So John saying omakase. So yeah. And basically, as this has been explained to me, this pretty much is just literally, almost literally translates into I put myself in your hands or it's up to you or I leave it up to you. And I remember in the old days when I would go into um, Nobu Matsuhisa's original restaurant, Matsuhisa, you could just say omakase and tell them how much money you wanted to spend and then they would just put sushi out for you. Um, whatever was fresh, right? It's basically saying, give me what's fresh, give me what you like and this is how much money I want to spend. It's gone on to become this almost coarse tasting menu. It's become the Japanese synonym for degustation menu. Um, is that incorrect or correct, or is that just the way it's evolved? It's correct because you're basically leaving it up to the chefs to put together a tasting menu. If it's a nigiri restaurant and you're having an omakase, you should have a coursed out nigiri courses whether you get 10 pieces or 12 pieces or whatever the budget you have. Um, 
But if you're going to a, a Japanese restaurant that has different varieties of dishes and then you put omakase to it, of course there will be a pretivos or um, a musebush or whatever that's all included in it, not just the nikiri itself. How about omakase versus kaiseki? A kaiseki has always struck me as being a more formal experience, a more seasonal, overall, I don't know, a, b- a bigger thing than just walking into a sushi bar and telling the chef, give me what you like. It seems to me to be more formal. Am I, am I right or wrong on that? Um, I'm really not sure. Maybe you want to answer the that? The kaiseki is more of um, seasonal items. Um, more focused on actually more vegetarian traditionally. Like if you go to Kyoto, when you go to uh, temples, these dishes that they experience in their temples and eat is all vegans usually. However, um, it's put together as a seasonal menu um, and then it can contain different meats and tempura items and all that stuff. But yes, it can be as, it's basically as a coursed out meal with seasonal items. That's more accurate. Okay. Um, I want to get here in Las Vegas. We, we have a couple places. Kabuto was the first. And um, then that chef went over and did Yui at Amai Sushi. And they are, especially since Masa closed, th- those are the places that really seem dedicated to getting that fish that's only in season in Japan for two weeks a year. And they, they have the fishermen over there. Uh, and I still recommend both Kabuto and Yui for that. In the rest of Las Vegas, you seem to stick, most, most places stick to the same general fish, right? I mean, is it like, how many fish would you say make up the, the, the majority of what gets ordered in sushi restaurants here in Las Vegas? Uh, my late, lately, my experience has been a lot of tuna, salmon, yellowtail. Um, that seems to ex- speak yeah, to me, I, I, inexperienced white guy, <laughs> stuff I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Yes, but um, on the other hand, in different locations, when we brought in the uh, like the uh, the special box of assorted fish from our fish company, it'd be like seasonal stuff, you know, but it wouldn't move. People wouldn't want it. They didn't know what it was, no matter how much we tried to to explain it to them and tell them about it is like give them information about it they're still like no you know i'll stick to (laughs) what i know and then it just ends up going a family meal or even worse getting thrown out sometimes and unless you have the right clientele for that type of thing it's it's very difficult yeah how about you john have you had any luck mixing it up with um with rarer or more exotic fish yeah i i bring it I bring it to our restaurant also, and I end up actually using it on a lot of a combination sashimi platter uh, that we have in our menus and stuff like that. But um, we usually bring it on the weekend where people can have a little bit more. Um, we get we get more opportunity to sell more mm-hmm. um, when it business is a little more guaranteed. Right. Um, but yeah, we do we do bring all these um, special items and stuff like that. Cool. And is that something if if somebody wants to be an adventuresome sushi eater? I mean, is it is it smart to just say to the the chef or your server or whatever like do you have anything interesting in stock i mean ask about the specials right cool um john you use those little crabs right yeah Yeah. i haven't been using it for for a little bit but yeah last time i used it was about a month and a half ago and for those who haven't seen this john John uses these teeny little crabs and they look like baby blue crabs but they're maybe the size of an m&m and they'll be sitting on your dish, and you're always not sure whether to eat them or not, or whether they're there for decoration. I eat yeah. everything that's on my plate all the time, but I, you, you, you got to be expecting a, a kind of hard bite on that one. Yeah, it's a, it's a basically Japanese river crab. You can you can eat them, um, but you gotta just make sure because it's river crab. It has to be fully cooked. Yeah, there, I, I once heard a story. I don't know if this is true, but that they I, this was said to me by the chef of um, Shibuya at the time. Um, who has since passed, actually, but he was telling me that he had those river crabs and he was using them inside a crab salad bowl and they would run around in there. They were alive. And then he could no longer import them live because at some sushi bar somewhere, the live ones had been running around on the bar and somebody had picked them up and eaten them and gotten really sick. (laughs) That actually happened in Los Angeles. I heard this story as well. And then some of the vendors, they actually stopped importing and we had to actually uh, beg uh, some of our vendors to get it for us because we had those dishes in our menu. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was that actually was a true story. There's always some Ooh. dumbass that ruins it for everybody. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> Same guy that eats the little plastic fake leaf on <laughs> cheap sushi. 
Uh, Not I'm naming you'll names. You'll be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> so we spoke about the really high end. Let's talk about the low end of the spectrum. And I don't mean low quality wise, but price point, all you can eat. A lot of us were introduced to sushi via all you can eat restaurants. That was how I learned about it. You didn't mind ordering one or two pieces of something new. I probably never would have eaten Unagi if it hadn't been for an all you can eat restaurant. I, a lot of things that I never would have tried without that. Um, what do you guys think? Are there good all-you-can-eat sushi restaurants in Las Vegas, or are you pretty much just rolling the dice when you go to an all-you-can-eat place? Or rolling the rice, because it seems like <laughs> uh, a lot of them are all-you-can-eat rice places. Um, yeah, there are a couple of good places out there, and then there, there are a couple of places that are just complete trash. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's actually a good answer. Yeah, any, any <laughs> that you would recommend? Either of you guys? Um, I'm going to... Plead the okay. fifth on this one. Yeah, I can't just <laughs> name one or two restaurants. But okay. yeah, I have a mixed feeling about um, all you can eat places. Mm -hmm. um, I did experience some good times and then a good meal. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was really not that I would uh, prefer to have. Yeah. So uh, Sushi is a really social experience when you bring people. I actually, last night, somebody on facebook said i don't want to be around people and uh, I, I, I want to be alone and i said well then try the uh, the uh, revolving conveyor belt sushi places you can sit alone you don't even have to deal with a server you can just watch it go by and take it or not and we have a new chain of those that's come into vegas in the past few years which is sapporo i've eaten there i found it okay I, I mean, I would not warn people against it. I wouldn't, war I wouldn't tell people to rush there. I think they're solid. Um, but that's, I did eat at a few conveyor belt places during my very brief time in Japan. But I don't know whether they are just tourist traps in Japan or whether they're really popular among the Japanese people. You guys have, you, you would know better than I. Are they legit in Japan? I think because they're usually in a busy area, busy traffic area, where they just want to grab and go and eat, just grab and eat real quick and just take off kind of thing. Office districts so, next so, to a McDonald's. Yeah, so if uh, we have conveyor belt sushi in Las Vegas airport, I will support 100%. I'll probably eat every time <laughs> right? when I'm waiting for whatever. But in, in the local restaurant, I don't know how their business level is, but they, if a chef know how to rotate the fish as fast as possible with the guests that's around and what their preference is, and then if they're good at it, then I think it's it can be a good experience. One, one other variation on all this that I saw pop up about three, four years ago that I consider one of the dawns of the end of civilization, <laughs> the burrito sushi. Oh, crap. <laughs> See, man, look, talk about guilty pleasures, right? I will admit to you that every once in a while, maybe twice a year, I will go to a sushi burrito place and get one, man. I mean, I get it with the nigori. I don't get it with a tortilla or anything. And yeah. to me, it's just like a giant freaking sushi roll that I can take home and eat. So um, I, I am guilty of that sin. I, you know, you I wanted to, to like him so much. And the four times I think I went, never really satisfied. So no fans at this table other so, than me twice know, a year. On that note, <laughs> I, went, I went to a, a Target or whatever, some store, and I come out to my truck, and there's a little business card flyer stuck in my, in my window, and it's for sushi burritos. And I didn't know if I was more pissed off about the sushi burritos <laughs> or somebody touching my truck. <laughs> God. Okay, so a, a reason, John's just sitting there quietly <laughs> on that one. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to mention, John, you do have South American influences here. I, I did. We mentioned Nikkei briefly. Um, Nikkei was probably when people that know um, things like yellowtail and ponzu sauce with the serrano chili that came in the United States. That came from Nobu Matsuhisa, um, and that was because he went down to Peru and he really discovered this South American Japanese combination of, of that, that's known as Nikkei cuisine. You used to have a Nikkei place right next door to you here at Sushi Samba, Anse. It's no longer here. Uh, but that really specialized in that. Do you consider what you do in Sushi Samba to have Nikkei influences? Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. We are part of the Nikkei cuisine also. But what we do is also we uh, we highlight the uh, Brazilian cuisine. So, you know, three cultures that we celebrate here, the Japanese, Peruvian, and Brazilian. We basically equalize and then try to offer everything uh, in those three cultures. Not one side is bold. It, we try to offer that's uh, strong for Brazilian flavors and Japanese flavors and all that stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Okay, well, guys, we are running out of time. So I, th I want to thank you. We're going to have to have you both back and talk more about sushi. And now there's just this giant 
gorgeous plate sitting in front of me that I'm about to dig into. But what is this little cow that you have over this here? Is, Just uh, tell me about this bad This boy. is a new uh, menu item. We put it in this tree bar menu uh, called the Wagyuni. It has A5 Wagyu and um, un, the uni on top. It's smoked with the hickory uh, wood. Oh, baby. Oh, my God. It's been all my life. It's just seared lightly so you can just have one bite. Per, per sushi as we talked about and then you guys can just enjoy as is cool well that looks beautiful I love Wagyu I love uni and I'm going to tell you this and I'm not even going to give you guys a chance to respond only eat uni if it's from Santa Barbara only in the cold weather months I hate Santa Barbara uni in the summer chefs try to give it to me I always tell them no 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 I only like it in the cold weather that's Al Mancini's piece of advice that nobody else may agree with this is Food and Loathing Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Food and Loathing. I'm Al Mancini, joined again by our producer, Rich Johnson, and our guest host, Rick Moonen. Before we get into anything else, we're coming out of that segment on sushi. Rick, you're one of the most accomplished and respected seafood chefs in the world. During the time you operated two restaurants over at uh, Mandalay Place, you had a little sushi bar in there. It wasn't what you were known for, but you put out some freaking good sushi. Yeah, it was solid. Um, So... The opinions pretty much were that there's great fish available in Las Vegas. Yep. It's not very hard to find. Nope. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of good all-you-can-eat these days. I think that was one of the general consensuses. Mm. Consensuses? Is that the plural consensus? It is now. Consensus. <laughs> consensus. <laughs> yes. Um, anyway, you know, it was really just, but that Las Vegas is a really, really good sushi town. And probably the only place that we're missing would be on the, the I don't want to say low end, but on the quality all-you-can-eat scale. Yeah. Well, there's a place in Henderson I used to go to. I forget the name of it. It's not coming to me off the top of my head. That as soon as you sit down, bam, you got something in front of you. They're cranking it out. It's more of a factory, and the sushi's really pretty darn good. You know, was it tough for you to learn sushi, or were you already familiar with it when you opened up RMC Food? No, I, I learned sushi through the people I hired. You know, King, what's his uh, Sean King. Sean you King, know? yeah. Sean King was working with Steve Geddes at the Men's Club, and uh, Men's Club was very erratic with their with their uh, business, and they'd have a busy night. And all a sudden, strip they're club of- that had some of the best chefs and sommeliers. Oh yeah, two, two master sommeliers. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. So Sean King's there doing sushi, and uh, Steve Geddes, who was the chef, who's my buddy now, very good buddy. He uh, they'd run out of shit, and Steve used to work for me, and he knows the quality of what I had in the house. So he just send off over Sean to get like, you know, can I get two dozen uh, <laughs> of scallops and uh, forty oysters, and we'll get it back to you tomorrow. Whatever, <laughs> and we would shoot the shit. And little by little, men's club didn't make it. So I said, Sean, psst, get over here. I'm gonna start a sushi program. So you're gonna come in and do it because the guy was like serious, straight up, clean cut. His station was immaculate. He was like, he was a little slow. To be honest with you, it was frustrating because you can keep up when we started getting slammed. But he he proved to be an amazing guy. I learned a lot from him, and uh, we had some pretty darn good stuff. I I had I still do have sources where I get some crazy ass fish. While we talk about crazy ass fish, you have a bag of something sitting in front of us at this table. Are you able to talk about this? One hundred percent. This night. is crazy ass fish if ever there was this, crazy ass. This fish. is called finless fish. Okay, so what this is is a uh, completely uh, plant based tuna, but it's not tuna at all. There's not a cell of tuna in there. It's like the impossible food is to beef. This yeah. is to to tuna. So it's it's made out of winter melon and it's compressed and they have color. The colorations from beets and I mean I can read the ingredients: chicory root, um, algal oil. Right, vegetable juice and beta carotene for color. So I mean, there's nothing. It's, it's minimally processed. So anyway, you taste it and you know what you're eating. But when you mix that, I, this, yesterday morning I put together. I put a little. Uh, I put some tamari on there, some fish sauce. So no longer vegan, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. I, just want, I want to see how this thing reacted to uh, to the flavor combinations. I that's put a the best serrano, way to fix vegan serrano chili. Some non-vegan food on top of it. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want you don't want meat. I'll, I'll make lamb. So, <laughs> yes. so you just and so there was some serrano chilies for heat and crunch i had some pickled ginger and turmeric i put the juice in there and some of that and a little orange juice and and just mixed it all up with some olive oil for some texture it was amazing 
It was amazing. Is really, there truly... anything in there that tastes of tuna? No, not really. It, 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 my wife thinks so, but I'm like, it's in your head. Is it okay. available? Now, can people get it? You know, I don't know yet, but thinless fish, you're going to see this appear probably in, in, I mean, this is so easy to work with. You pour it out, you can marinate it and keep it in your refrigerator yeah. with all the marinades that would normally degenerate a uh, real tuna. Real tuna, you have to mix the order. Right. You know, so that takes labor and labor's tough now. So this thing is so convenient. You just pull this out, slack it out, mix your ingredients. You can keep them in the fridge for the entire service, five hours. Still going to be crunchy. Sort delicious. of a weird-ass ceviche. I know, I know. And while we're just giving things away, this showed up at my door today. Oh, so I my. brought it for whoever wants it. This is some focaccia from Via Focaccia, the new sandwich shop from um, Ismaili Romano, which opened October 20th in Ellis Island. And hopefully, I'm going to do a sandwich episode with Ismaili. Yeah. That's, That's right so up your alley, Rich. I'm excited. It smells that. good. It smells good. We talk about the news. In the news this week, our friend Andy Wong has a story in The Rob Report about Gina Marinelli's new downtown Summerlin steakhouse, Harlow. I was excited to read about it. I'm a huge fan of Gina. I've been wondering for a while what was going into the old Andiron space in downtown Summerlin. That is where Harlow will reside. They've been keeping a tight lid on things over there. Uh, This is the first I've even heard the name, either that or the first I remember hearing the name, Uh, let alone details on their beef program, their caviar program. They're dealing with Nina from Forte Tapas to get some caviar over there mm-hmm. uh, all of this is in um is in this article in the rob report by andy wong who's a phenomenal journalist and for a guy who doesn't live here he really takes the vegas food scene seriously yeah. did either i but did either of you guys have a chance to read that that piece i did not read the piece. i read the piece and about two hours before we are recording my wife and i were taking a hike around downtown so summerlin i love that as a hike because it's flat and there's things to see. And right. of course, we end up going to Sur La Table and dropping two and a half stuff. I, I like but, the way he defines hike. Around <laughs> my favorite hike in the world is Lexington Avenue from the 86th subway stop down to the 40s. That's a, That's a hike. That's a hike. I love that hike. Uh, but I, I peeked in the back door at Harlow and oh, it is so beautiful. I, I, I can be a regular at that bar. I plan on being a regular yeah. at that bar. Mm. I went in on Friday. That's when Andy was predicting it may have, no, not Friday, Monday. Monday, Monday when Andy was predicting it may have softened opened um soft opening let's predictions go Al. tend to well it's not it's not open yet yeah um well, i'm sure jeff fine was not happy to see me popping my head in the door <laughs> over there the owner he's a great guy but you don't want to see a media guy walk in when you're yeah, not yet instruction get out um we <laughs> did actually get to see uh, emily brubaker who's with the lev group i, I waved to gina i saw emily mm. spoke to some people i think it may be soft open next week but you know but look, give them some time but there if you're go. anything like me you're gonna pop in there was still a construction shed Jason to it, but inside looked like it was darn well hey man, done. You know, it was a pretty place when it was, uh, you know, and iron as well. So yeah, so I think it's going to be great. They've done a lot of lot of revamping. I lost my spot on these papers right now. Uh-huh. Rich, what was I supposed to talk about uh-huh. next? You're, you're supposed to introduce food. me and supposed- say how hideous you think uh, my my latest cuisine acquisition I is. Know. I haven't heard it yet. I've yeah. heard what it's about. Once again, it's time for <laughs> Rich's fast food and junk food report, which means once again I'm terrified that uh-huh. it's about to embarrass the vast food and loathing empire by prompting every listener <laughs> to ask why i don't feed him better but um <laughs> rich i did invite you to yes you did. with you me, did they weren't Indeed. open anyway anyway tell me you're talking wieners i am i went hot dog hunting this week uh, not the gourmet dogs with all the uh, interesting toppings all due respect to our folks at Bulldogi and, and similar places. I am a man of the people, a simple man with simple tastes, so I go where the people eat. And the first stop is a very guilty semi-pleasure, Wienerschnitzel. I was going to say Wienerschnitzel. Yep. Incorrectly named since 1961, it offers uh, two kinds of dogs. It's They're beef good. and pork, or it's all beef. Standard way is covering it in chili and cheese. Uh, I, I scratch the uh, cheese, and, you know, they... They scratch an itch. The the two two dogs fry soda combo. The fries, like most fast food joints, are pretty good if you get them right out of the oil. And if they've been in the tray for ten minutes, maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. The original name, of course, was Der Wiener Schnitzel, and of course, it has nothing to do with hot dogs because Wiener Schnitzel is a breaded veal cutlet. Yes, yes. But we move on. <laughs> I made a pilgrimage to the South Point Casino and the Vienna Beef Hot Dog Stand near the sports book. You been there? Anybody been there? Don't bring your ketchup. You'll get killed. Uh, Oh, they had it there. What appears to be about a fifth-pound all-beef dog, a dollar and a quarter. Mm. Condiment options are great. Kraut, sweet relish, fresh diced onions, mustard, and ketchup. You want to get into this ketchup-mustard thing, I will tell you, I am not an either-or guy. Two parts mustard, 
one part ketchup. That's how I like sweet. my hamburgers. Don't pull that. Don't try that in man. Chicago, man. Oh, well, uh, Chicago. You get, the, you get the stuff slapped out of your hand. Yeah, I've, I've lived in Chicago and went to those dog places, and that's another thing. Yeah, the bright green so, yeah, relish. Yeah, neon thing. Yeah, processed food? I guess so. <laughs> so the dog cart is very popular right next to the sports book. I got there at, when it opened at 11. I sat down. I had my dog, and by the time I got up, there were 10 people in line at that thing. That's why they have it three, uh, limit of three per person. Wow. Uh, last stop, and I thought I was. I thought the South Point would be my my big capper, but no. I went to Costco yesterday. <laughs> Famous for holding the line on its hot dog and soft drink special special for more than thirty they, years. They got Nathan's. Here. A buck and a half. Used to have Nathan's. No, I used to have um, uh, Hebrew National, and then they went oh. to Kirkland, their store brand. Yeah, well, it's um. It it's a buck and a half now. It should be three sixty five by inflation standards since nineteen eighty when the when the thing happened. No, see he likes the dogs like the dogs like the wieners. Yeah, uh, they, they know what it means. The, the CEO wanted to has wanted forever to raise the price, and Jim Senegal, the co founder of Costco, had told him about a year ago, if you raise the price, I'll kill you. <laughs> and so it remains. Uh, it's um. Why do I feel like if we ever do a meatball episode, he's just going to talk about Ikea the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) The Swedish meatball. I have Swedish. Of course I will. Uh, Uh, Anyway, uh, mustard, ketchup, relish. They don't have the onions anymore. The old crank uh, onion thing. Yeah. Uh, People were stealing the onions. People were bringing like a little baggie and sticking it under there and cranking out the onions. And that tells you about the level of your customer, doesn't it? Yeah. But Smokies. You need free onions. If you're going home with a bag full of free onions, stay away from me. I have to say, that was the winner. Smoky, snappy, savory, beefy goodness. It was a good I almost went back to the aisle and bought, bought a bag of Kirkland dogs, but I heard something else is happening. Here. Rich, I'm trying to reach you at your own level here. Yeah. Okay? These are not the fancy <laughs> pants hot dogs. Snap Orazzo hot dogs. I stopped by a Green Valley grocery, picked these up for you today on the way over here. That's these, a real hot dog, buddy. These I am honored. Great hot dogs there from our friend Ralph Perazzo, a great chef. Rick mentioned him last week from his days at Bradley Ogden. He wow. spent yep. most of COVID trying to design the perfect hot dog. He has several of them out there right now. And um, yeah, should have hit the do not disturb there. He has several of them out there now um you can get them at allegiance stadium i'm gonna let you take those home and I, we're you. just gonna take it from there in the meantime <laughs> we're speaking of hot dogs let's get stoned it's time for our <laughs> it's time for our weekly edibles report you know we i did incredibles chocolates when we had mercy baron on i did a peanut butter they weren't really chocolate it was a peanut butter yeah. pretzel bar they were really really good i liked them a lot i do not like incredibles um gummies i'll let you guys know that but i love their chocolates they're great it's a chocolate bar they're in individually stamped 10 milligram segments so that you know exactly how you're dosing you could break it down as small as you want these were given to me by um by Lindsay over at the vegas foodie she is a great instagrammer she covers the scene well we had a wonderful lunch um some indian food over on eastern avenue together she gave me these to try them they're mints mile high mints 100 milligrams of thc and I like these. These are like those little Andy's mint mm-hmm. packets that you used to buy as a kid or whatever, or your oh, peppermint man. patty. There's no weed Whoa. flavor in them that I can mm. taste whatsoever. Rick, what are you thinking, Rick? I'm in love. This is good. I mean, just as a as a chocolate, you mm. know, it, uh, you definitely have that that the the, the uh, mint oil. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's what you're left with. So you, yeah, it freshens your breath. <laughs> it's good quality chocolate. The texture in your mouth is awesome, and you, the problem is you're going to want another one because they're so delicious. I was going to say I can't yeah. have just so one could, little chocolate square. Well, well you know, it could make your day. Just sit on the couch, <laughs> end my day <laughs> with a with a extreme prejudice. No kidding. Uh, so that's it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to all of our guests. Next week, Rick, I know you will not be in our guest host oh. chair, so we're rounding up somebody to to fill your a replacement, yeah. or at least give give, give give Val a call. Yeah, give me a call if you want to do that. <laughs> also, we're going to be talking about the Women's Hospitality Initiative. This was a great um, group that organized right before COVID, mm-hmm. trying to really equalize the playing field in the boys' club that is um, yep. the Las Vegas restaurant business. Mm-hmm. So we're going to dig deep into that next week. So please tune back in next week. And tell a friend about Food and Loathing, an enemy, a, a total stranger. Say nice things about us, especially on Apple Podcasts. Either way, we do want your feedback, your likes, and your retweets. Find everything you need to know about doing all of that at Al's website, theneonmohawk.com. And one other thing, reach us direct by email 
info at foodandloathing.vegas. With co-host Rick Moonen and producer Rich Johnson, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.